How can we be eco-friendly but also have an epic time? What is regenerative hospitality? And how do we show others that sustainability is not a liability? Big themes that we're deep diving into with Ronald Achille, the CEO of the Potato Head family. In this episode, we cover how to have great holidays and experiences in a better way, work as a playground, making sustainability beautiful, and mindfulness as a lifelong journey. It's time to live wide awake. Hey, it's Steph Dixon, and welcome to the podcast. Here, we get into the minds of some of the most conscious humans around the world to understand how our actions affect our mental well-being, happiness, and the planet. Because self and planetary healing is really an inside-out job. So let's unpack this human experience together so that we can live wide awake. Ronald Achille is the CEO of the Potato Head family and has been at the forefront of innovative hospitality for over a decade. His first project was born in 2007 when he opened up Arc Galleria in Yoga Yakarta, a platform for young Indonesian artists. Then he moved into hospitality in 2009 when he opened up the first Potato Head, which now has presence in Jakarta, Bali, Singapore, and Hong Kong. Two hotels followed with Katamana and Potato Head Hotel. Through Ronald's ongoing creativity and collaborations, he continually secures a place for the Indonesian-based lifestyle hospitality brand on the global stage, and his sights are now set on Australia and the US. Ronald has also been on Tatler, Asia's most influential list, and is a genty leader of tomorrow. Well, Ronald, thanks so much for joining us today. We're really looking forward to having this conversation together. I'd uh, love to go back to 2007 when your journey really began. What was the catalyst for you to want to open your very first project art gallery back then? Thanks for having me, Stephanie. I think for, I've always been passionate in art. My family has always been passionate in art and my father is an art collector and we've always been exposed to it since we were young. When I came back from the States, to Indonesia, I just saw, I was quite shocked by the amazing talents that was coming up in Indonesian contemporary art and also Indonesian contemporary architecture. I wanted to really just share that to the world because Indonesian contemporary art or architecture was not really globally recognized. So I wanted to create a platform to showcase that. So I set art gallery focusing only on Indonesian contemporary artists. And at the later stage, we start working with Southeast Asian contemporary artists as well. At the same time, the second project that I was working on was on Indonesian contemporary architecture. So uh, uh, we set a project with 15 of the best Indonesian architects, and it was really an amazing project as well, where we wanted to create a green dot in the middle of Jakarta. I don't know if you've been to Jakarta, but Jakarta, it's super hectic and jams everywhere, pollutions everywhere. And we wanted to kind of like create our own green dot right in the city of Jakarta. So we create a residential project. There was like 20 different homes, all designed differently, all designed using only local materials with sustainable standards. We didn't cut the single tree. We left the contour as it is. We revitalized an existing lake into a water recycling system. And this was done, I mean, this was 2007. So it's been a while. And, and, and that was at the same time where the art gallery started. Yeah, amazing. And so what was it that actually made you, was the precipice for you wanting to do a green dot? You know, where did this need or I guess passion for upcycling or creating different spaces, but making it really sustainable really come from? What, what was driving you? 
Honestly, it all just started based on what I feel I was missing living in Jakarta. And I wanted to create a space where I can meet people, I can learn, I can create. Hence, the art gallery really inspires me. And on, on the green dot in Jakarta, the project is called Tana To Do. I wanted to have a place for me to even live. So I actually live there uh, once the project is created. So that's all how, how, how we started. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that it was from a need that you'd maybe experienced somewhere else and wanted to bring into your home city. I think that's a really beautiful concept. So how did that then transition into more of the hospitality lens, which obviously now you're very famous for with all your properties? Potato Head, I mean, Potato Head started really as a labor of love and it was supposed to be just a fun project. I started Potato Head because of my wife. She was a chef. She was living in Europe. And when we met we wanted to have a project for her when uh, uh, she went back to Indonesia. So I asked my partner, we've always been exposed and we've always loved design, art, music. So we, we, we decided why don't we create a fun project. Hence it's called Potato Head. Sandra was gonna run the kitchen and we were just gonna create the project as a place for us to hang out. That's how Potato Head started. So after a year, my wife was in the kitchen from, she started from 5 a.m. She finished at 11 at night every single day. And after a year she have, she was pregnant with our first child. So she decided to step off. I started to like the industry and I thought, why don't we just grow this, grow Potato Head from day one. We know we don't want to be in the restaurant business and, and, and just hotels, but we wanted to create Potato Head as a lifestyle brand. We wanted to build it as a global lifestyle brand, pretty much channeling the way of life that we all pursuing. Like, I mean, the way of life that we like, what we're passionate about food, about music, about design, about art, and, and later on about uh, uh, being a driver of change makers. So in the way, Potato Head is our playground. And, and, and from here, we get to work with the best people that we can imagine. I mean, the heroes that I've been following from Rem Kulhas to amazing chef to musicians and I guess, like you said, it comes from a personal need and it comes from the need that the peers, my peers feels like we're missing living in Jakarta, living in Bali, and then something, even the platform that we aspire to have globally. That's how Potato Head all started. And it turns into hospitality and product and experiences and so on. Yeah, no, I love what you said about Potato Head being your playground. I mean, what a fun way to approach business and life. And so has it always been a labor of love and play or what have been some of the more challenging moments? And did you ever, I guess, along the journey, because hospitality is not easy, especially going through COVID and everything. Were there any moments where you were just like, I don't know if I can keep going? Like, Honestly, there was a big moment since COVID now, so Potato has been there for 12 years. I think five years running Potato Head, we were fortunately very successful. We were having so much fun, but we were also growing. And with growth, obviously, comes uh, challenges, right? And we just kept doing. But at some point, after five years of running it, I came to a point where it's not really worth it. Just, I mean, we had a big ambition when we were younger that we want to be the best. We want to show this to the world. We want to do suddenly all of those goals doesn't really, it's not really as relevant to us anymore. So for us, I think the tipping point where we were able to channel everything we do from Potato Head, all the other work that I'm involved in into a higher purpose, that gave us a new fuel. And with that fuel, the higher purpose for us is myself, my team, I guess all human beings, we thrive when we grow. Right. And when the moment we get to use Potato Head, we get to use our businesses 
as a platform for us to learn, as a platform for us to share, as a platform for us to grow, that fuel us and, and, and the perseverance we need and going through challenges, going through ups and downs and also, but it gives us a sense of fulfillment that money cannot really give you, I guess, in driving business. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's what everyone's craving in their work life. I think especially nowadays is having that purpose, something bigger than money that's driving you to make you get out of bed every day and feel strong and excited. So I would love to understand a little bit more about how that purpose shifted, I guess, and how you really got that newfound sense, because obviously you've been growing and you've been evolving different projects. So what is it that is really that, I guess, truth or that guiding light for you still today? One Definitely, I think in running Potato Head, the creative side of things, uh, the creating it, the innovation part and the learning part about the different disciplines that I love from design, music, art, food and so on, keeps me going and keeps me exciting. And that's the passion that drives me and being in the business in the first place. But there was a big tipping point in my personal life as well, where I have four young children. I think over five years ago, I took my son out uh, Noah for a surf more than five years now since two years has been COVID uh, and, and we were 500 meter out in the water and we were still surrounded by trash. That day, the government in Bali declared a trash national emergency. When we went back to the beach, it was like miles and miles and miles of the coast. One meter, I think the trash is up to our knees and it was like just miles stranded. And, and then for us, I mean, that day it was just a big wake up call for me. This is my backyard and I have four young children and I know they would not be able to appreciate the things that we love, nature, surf and mother earth. And I wanted to make a commitment that everything I do from that day on is to drive change. And, and through Potato Head, I see we're not the scientists or we're not the activists, but we know that we can curate things to make it relevant to the younger generation. So that's how we wanted to drive uh, Potato Head. The first thing and foremost was we wanted to fix our own operation. We wanted to know how much are we contributing to this and, and how can we fix that. Second, we wanted to create awareness. and But most importantly, we wanted to connect solutions and find solutions and make it beautiful. Again, out of my own need, my family need, my friends, my team. And I believe this also relates to the consumers that uh, we've been serving. For us, it's easier to make a change where we're not just constantly being preached without the solution. You know, and, and, and for us, we find it that it's easier for us to make a change when it's when we're inspired. So we thought if we can make the solutions really beautiful and if we can make the solutions be given with the idea of like people doesn't really have to compromise in terms of comfort, in terms of beauty, in terms of accessibility. And that's what we thought Potato had as the perfect role for that. For example, I strive to be healthier for me since, since, since this tipping point as well. I want to eat healthy food. I want my kids to eat healthy food. I want my family to eat healthy food, but we want the food to be delicious. I want to stay in an eco-friendly hotel, but I don't want to rough it up, I want the experience to be amazing. I, it, why, why people have to take sustainability as a liability? I want to use a more sustainable products, but I want it to be accessible to me in terms of price point. I want it to be comfortable. I want it to still look beautiful. So I think with that approach, we think Potato Head can be a position where we make the experience so beautiful, it just so happened it's better for you. It just so happened it's better for the planet. It just so happened it's better for the community. So. Since we've taken that purpose, 
the first thing and foremost that we realize our team alone, we have, I think at highest point, we have about over a thousand people in our team. And then in Bali and stuff, the team still live in a very active Dessa, in a very active village. So everyone, it's, it's, it's the way Balinese works. The regulations, the ceremonies, the way of life is pretty much being managed at the village level, right? So we thought even our team back then doesn't know about the effect of the car- carbon footprint we're producing. They didn't know about to give, you know, in Balinese ceremonies, there's always offering every day, whether in the morning, at night, or even in ceremonies. And all of these offerings used to be all organic materials, right? But now it's all replaced by new materials such as plastic and stuff. And they usually, they still have the same habit of just after the offering is being offered to the ocean, is being offered to the river. And all of these educations, like we realized our team the impact in our team and the impact in this culture that we built uh, surrounding the communities continue to drive amazing change. And, and, and that's what we thought like a, an organization with purpose. When we drive this purpose, this gives us kind of like the fuel to constantly innovate, to constantly share and to constantly persevere. And since we've started that, I can honestly say that the team is the one that's continually doing the job and inspire me. It, it's the other way around. And I continue to learn new things by the team and and the people that we work with. I absolutely love that. It's so beautiful. I mean, you said so many fantastic things there, especially about making the solutions beautiful. I think it was it really resonated with me because when, when I started Green is New Black and started doing large scale events, I wanted to make the event experience really fun. And then people have the discovery of like, oh yeah, this is actually really sustainable as well. So very similar mindset in that side of things. It's just you went beautiful and I went more of like a fun route. Although obviously what you do is super fun as well. So maybe you can walk us through a little bit of like the sustainability journey because when I, the first time I went to Potato Head in Bali, of course I remember the huge wave made out of a all the different colored flip-flops that I were, I understand were collected from the beach. So that was like one of the first things that I remember seeing when I arrived. So yeah, maybe you can share a little bit about how you took everything you were learning and started making that into a beautiful experience for guests, but also for education. The first thing that we did was we wanted to understand what impact are we giving to the industry? Are we giving to the island of Bali, right? So we've hired a third party consultant who advise us and start auditing on our own ways. So when we first audited, I think 50% of our waste goes to landfill. And we started to break down what are all of those ways and how do we start reducing it? And how do we start changing our operational model to reduce those ways? And then whichever ways that can be reduced, how do we recycle, upcycle it, or even change it to organic materials? So it was a long journey, I think, only after five years, every year we continue to go down. Every year we continue to go down on our ways. Every every year we continue to improve and make progress. So when we, I mentioned when we first started, 50% of our waste goes to landfill. Now we manage 97% of our waste, only 3% left to landfill. So that was the first thing we did. And then second, outside of waste, what else we wanted to contribute on? And renewable energy in Indonesia and Bali is still very difficult because it has government regulation and so on. So we wanted to still make a commitment on how do we tackle the carbon issue? So we were the first company in Southeast Asia, hospitality company in Southeast Asia that went, that did the collaboration with the United Nations and we've been operating carbon neutral since 2018. And, and so we continue to make progress from there. And the third, creating awareness we start working on ways and how do we create 
amazing artists, designers, uh, musicians, and make it beautiful in a way. Make it dramatic, make it beautiful, and make it accessible. So starting from the installation that you've mentioned, we work with an artist who is based in Bali, Lina Claus, and she always walked the beach and the shore. And one of the ways in the shore always is this abandoned flip-flops, abandoned slippers. So, so we thought by creating an amazing installation with her, not so much to, I guess when people say it first, they say it because it's beautiful. Second, once they start understanding the project behind, they start understanding that this is pretty much the amount of ways of single-use habits from flip-flops, from all of this and stuff just being thrown and, and it goes back straight to our shore. And on the product side, we started to experiment. We started to work with designers from in building the latest project or how do we create it all as much as possible from waste or without waste. And so we've recycled over one7 on single-use plastics, which we turned into architectural material with OMA. We turned it into rattan weaving, and the whole ceiling of the hotel, the whole ceiling of the platform of the architecture is made out of those materials. And the furnitures, we work with designers such as Fade to Good, Max Lam, creating the plastic waste in our property, creating the plastic waste. We have so minimum waste at some point where we start collecting waste from the island and turning it into furnitures, turning it into products. And the hotel amenities, the hotel operations, we use food packagings from styrofoam. We did an R&D, we work with the designer where we mix it with left oyster shells from our restaurant, sand, and we turn it into toiletries. We turn it into, we work with recycled glass. That's all the drinkware. The glassware in our restaurants is all made from the recycled glassware that's recycled. Drinking bottles to other uh, recycled industrial glass. Then we start learning. We learn from the green school kits to turn. That was amazing. And again, we, we learned from the green school kits. One of their project is to turn used cooking oil into bio candles. So all of our used cooking oil now is turned into our candles. And, 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 and we start working that and we start producing that, but continue to making it refined and continue to make it beautiful. When people go to the property, they're like, oh, we would love to get this. Well, we would love to know more about this. Not so much just because it's sustainable, just because the product itself, it's really beautifully made. It's this. And when they hear the stories, I guess that impacts them even more. No, I remember having a tour a while ago and, and seeing all the products that you had upcycled and, and just being also, I remember the oyster shells being used to create like the tissue boxes, I think it was with mixed mm. with other things and just like the creativity. And I was yeah really blown away by that. And so how challenging was that journey there? I mean, you're, you're obviously very passionate about it when you're talking about it, but has it been a really difficult journey or actually did a lot of it just kind of make sense and it was easy for you to actually implement these processes because you were sort of already on that journey? At the beginning, it's definitely very hard. Even explaining to our board or explaining to investors, explaining to this, this is what we want to go for. And then back then, people like uh, sustainability, it's the last thing on their mind, right, as an agenda. And then now, I guess it's much more that even trying to convince people to do that, it's really difficult. And then for us, it's trying and also changing the mindset that people keep telling us you cannot do a zero waste operation. You can do it with a 20 seating restaurant. We serve 3000 people daily. And they're like, it's impossible. Just changing the mindset, changing the perspective was difficult. But again, like I said, I think because the culture of our values, our values, our mantra is good times do good. 
in the company. We want to be the best provider of good times. And we want to provide people with good times. And we want to do it in a better way. And we want to do good everywhere we go in every destination. I, I think because of that values and the culture is so ingrained over the years, the team really like made it easy. Honestly, once I've set all the hurdles from all the other stakeholders, our team just continue to just strive it. Like, I mean, it's amazing. I, I'll tell you an example of that, that not only just R&D and new creative solutions, but even the solutions of like during the pandemic, right? Everyone is wiped out in Bali. Like it's, it's, it's even for us, it's, it's, we had to shut down a whole project that we've been planning for the past 10 years, but uh, we had the soft opening in January. We had to shut it down in March. But our team during that time, I guess the purpose that we carry, I mean, this is the biggest crisis of our life. Like instead of just stopping there, they show that they started to farm lands and farm empty lands and studying all everything about regeneration farming, teaching that to the local community, how regeneration farming can actually help offset carbon. Everyone has was jobless and start employing people, start teaching people about farming in empty lands, farming in their own homes, harvesting those meals every week, making it with a zero waste operation in terms of like making it the best nasi bungkus or rice dish and serving it to every community. They've been doing that since the pandemic until now, every single week. The same thing with when we found new waste uh, streams and that we can't recycle yet or we, uh, or we need to innovate to take it further to upcycle it. They just start finding ways and doing R&Ds or most of the time, it's like we have a collective of people and this is where I think the DESA the, as a center is amazing because we start having a platform of people, of designers, institutionals, scientists that come and learn and help us and we learn from that. And I think in return, we share that to the community, we share that to uh, the other place in the industry. So it's like one circular loop that made it happen. Yeah, no, I think that's so amazing that you were able to create and foster a space for your team and the people involved in the potato or desert potato head to have that creativity and that ability to also focus on community and really basically showcase all of the values in a time of crisis. So I think that really is a huge testament to you and the team and, and everything that you're building. I think it's very encouraging and, and hopefully like it's been also rewarding and impactful continuing. So you talked a little bit about regenerative farming and I know a big passion of yours is also regenerative hospitality. So maybe you can unpack that a little bit more. And is this something that you've been into for a long time or was this also triggered during the pandemic for you as a key passion you want to focus on moving forward? So right before the pandemic, we've always been focusing on the immediate issue to us was waste, right? Because again, like this is right behind our backyard. This is right behind our this, but also just like the resources that we use from water and stuff and so on. How do we create a water plant that doesn't, that can help uh, distill our own water, doesn't take the water from the island. And I mean, all those sort of things, what we've been trying to do is how do we become responsible ourselves, And how do we share what we learn to the community? With the number one goal for us is how do we achieve zero waste? During the pandemic, when I saw the whole island was shut down, people's impact in their lives, in our team was like, there was a point where people were having a hard time just trying to put food on the table, literally. It was really hard to see for, and, and, and for an island that was like over 90% of the income is based on tourism. And that's the only skill set that people know based on tourism. 
it shows me the power of tourism, but it also shows me the impact tourism can give. And so for us, I thought we wanted to find a new model, like how could you go, how could you use tourism? It's the same thing, like how do we use our business, Potato Head and Drive Change? But how do we use the hospitality industry, the tourism industry to actually regenerate every destination they're, they're in, not just to be responsible for their own operation, which is given, but how can we do that now to regenerate the whole destination and every single destination that they're in? If we can do that as an industry, I think tourism can be such a powerful uh, uh, force. Hospitality could be such a powerful force for it. So for us, we start looking at regeneration on, if it's not only for us, number one, for the community, what can we do? Like what other things that we can introduce them from regeneration farming, from regeneration education, from to get other skill sets that could help regenerate the island in a different way. And from the environment itself, from carbon projects to other sustainable projects that, that start replacing into a renewable model of energy, renewable model of resources. So we thought like we start going through even how during the pandemic, this idea of regeneration is really needed in our own lives and start producing everything from the things that we eat, from the mindfulness that we do, from the creativity that we do. So for us, like regeneration for me now has been always my focus since the past two years of the pandemic and we continue to grow that. I think in the future, that will be kind of like the force. I mean, that will be kind of like the focus on what we're going to do at Potato Head and just trying to find new model how hospitality industry can shift into a regeneration model, first for Bali and other destinations. And, and we're planning as well, third quarter in September, we're going to do, Potato Head is going to, Potato Head and OA May, we're going to do an exhibition at Singapore National Design Center, where we've been studying about this regeneration model, we've been studying, and we're going to showcase as well what we learned over the past 10 years, and, and we want to make it as an open source blueprint for the industry. Yeah, I think that's so fantastic. And that really leads me into what I wanted to talk about next, which is you've obviously invested so much time and energy and creativity to create these circular solutions for a very large operation and large hotel. I mean, having 3000 people a day just eating, let alone all of the hotel operations as well. So how much have you seen or other hotels sort of coming to you for inspiration or asking for advice or, you know, having this open source ability with everything that you've done? Has that sort of been activated yet? And are you seeing a lot of demand from other hotels being like, oh, we want to do this too? Or are you still thinking like it's quite slow and there's still a lot of education and a jump for them to understand how to actually do it? I think over the past, especially since pandemic, we've seen a lot of interest of companies, hospitality players, and they've reached out to us whether we're interested to do a consultant, whether we're interested to uh, share. And this is, I guess, part of the progress where for us, we wanted to share because we, we get to get here because people share with us. And we believe with this idea of collective, with this idea of community, that's the only way for us to make progress and continue to learn and continue to share. And so for us, this September, October is going to be a pivot point where we want to kind of make a structure where it's just instead of us sharing one by one, we want to make it open source blueprint and constantly updating those structure and constantly also putting the right organization to help people get there. I believe, again, there's a lot of companies that wants to do it. And that the know-how can be given, I think the know-how, how to do it, it's easy for us to share that. It's easy for them to get it from consultants. Easy for It's just, I think the effort in getting there, 
the effort in making it happen is always the biggest hurdle. I think again, like if if we're active in the community, if we're active, and and trying just to constantly share, we see that's the role that we can play. But I think the biggest role comes from the consumer themselves. When the consumer starts demanding more, then the companies will start will have no options to actually do it. I guess it's it's the same. I guess since before. Organic food or non-organic food, the more people demand that they want organic food, no matter how expensive or no matter this, eventually it gets more accessible. Eventually people get, companies are demanded, even on the transparency of fashion and sustainability. I see that the same with hospitality as well. Yeah, the consumer has to continue playing the big role that we have to play. But what do you think about government regulation and all of this? Do you, th- do you see that now with such a huge focus on ESG and reporting and these types of things that this will also be a booster? Or do you really think it really does come down to like consumer demand at this point for larger properties and other hotels to adopt and, and kind of involve themselves in your open source blueprint? I think different government in Indonesia, we started to see, especially with G20 leading in Indonesia, with all the issues, we started to see the government is more aware and slowly initiating ESG regulations. In Singapore, though, we see a big emphasis from the government and they actually really support companies to do this and and they make the regulations for companies to have no choice to do it. And so I think government has a huge role because when government do it, in the big role, obviously, it makes it uh, the impact happens very fast in a way, just because it comes from a regulation. When we do it in Bali and Indonesia, because there's no other option, you know, we have to do it from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes a lot of sense. And so, what is kind of next for you then, if you look about or, or focus on the next ten years of your vision? Where do you see? everything you're working on going, but also what do you hope to see in the wider industry as well? So, I mean, for us, the dream is always built this whole creative village for us, right? A destination with, where it's built based on the way of life that we aspire to have. It's built around music, it's built around wellness, it's built around design, it's built around art, and any it's built around change makers, any passion that we want to be passionate on. This is the center for us to learn, create, and share. I think the next 10 years for us is we wanted to take it how can we take this outside of Bali and the same model the same days whether that's through digital and then offline experiences or whether that's through product arm and whether that's through education arm I think that's the future where we want to move forward to and and now I think the past five years where we've been very focused on sustainability and the past two years is given also a lot of confidence in us and confidence and the stakeholders and also in the public where there is a room and it's a better room to create a company with purpose. And there is a space for capitalism to take in a different model. And that works for the benefits for everyone. And that's where we want to strive as a company. And that's what we want to share for the next 10 years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's a really great time and it's a perfect time for people to start aligning what they do on a daily basis to helping to solve some of the world problems. You know, there's never been a better time. There's never been more money available for people that have big ideas and want to change how things are done. So I think indeed it is a very exciting time that we're living in. And hopefully that gives and maintains positivity because it can also be very doom and gloom and scary, especially with like all the different reports coming out all the time. So moving the conversation slightly, I'd love to understand a little bit more about your mindfulness practices. I think you mentioned it or alluded to it earlier in our conversation. So what is your journey with mindfulness really been and how has it sort of evolved over the last few years? 
I've always been, you know, it's like I have to say that. Have I been making progress? Sometimes I feel like I don't, or sometimes I feel like I am, but it's just like... I know the feeling. I know. And for me, if you ask me whether I've known all the life secrets, I've known this, to be honest, no. Because like at some points, I feel like I'm really grounded. At some points, I'm really centered and I'm really good. There are certain times where I could actually get wiped out and it made me realize, oh, wow, I actually still have lots to learn and have lots to do. All I know is just like every time I put the hours, it does help. It's not instant help, but it does help in situations. Suddenly I became more still, like I meditate a lot. I'm very into the yoga philosophy, the stoicism philosophy, the Taoism philosophy. I'm really into that. And I know all of them are saying the same thing. It's just about whether you want to put the hours or not and the discipline to uh, actually practice it, to actually self-cultivate. So for me, it's the same like working out, right? It's the same or going into a different discipline. The more like, you, you know, when you keep putting the hours, you don't know sometimes you're advancing, but you don't really need to know. And, and at some point after years, years and years, suddenly you come to a new level and it was because of all the things that you've done and the moment you slack it hits you as well so so for me i think for mindfulness i really have to say it's a lifelong journey i mean it's a lifelong practice it's a lifelong journey and in terms of way of life i really truly believe that experiencing life to the fullest like up and down and and through experience only i continue to learn new things i've always thought that I knew I've been there, I've done that, but every single day, life continued to show me a different way. Yes, it's never ending. It really is a lifelong journey. I completely agree. What were maybe some of the people or influences or things that happened? Maybe it was books or thought leaders or different studies that you've done that had the most profound effect or that really helped you through moments when it was maybe a bit harder? I mean, for me, I was fortunate to have an amazing family. Uh, My parents and my siblings, like, really showed me unconditional love, like the thought of unconditional love, which also like translated to my own family with my wife and my children. And then we've always been taught about a lot of life lessons since we were young. So I think the way my family was brought up really helped me. And in terms of leaders that really spoke to me was Tony Robbins. When I first saw Tony Robbins, it was an amazing experience for me just because It shows me most of the time, not most of the time, all the time within us. You know what I mean? The answer is always within us. It's never on the outside. It's always internal and focusing on things that we can control, unleashing what we have inside. And so since when the first time I met Tony Robbins, it just completely changed the way I look at life. And again, I think on books and stuff, I've always constantly been inspired by all different philosophies, like mainly old philosophies from the yoga philosophy, Stoicism and Taoism. I think a lot of those things I continue to learn that, again, never force life and continue to just surrender. One of the books that I always give to people is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Again, on the idea that everything is within us and then most of the time you just have, you can't force life. We just have to surrender to it and embrace everything that's in front of you. And for me, the biggest thought lesson I have is also on from all this philosophy is on the idea of stillness. You know, like we're constantly chasing. I think to your podcast, Live Wide Awake, like I really do feel awake when I'm in stillness. You know, that's when I can truly see what's in front of me. And, and, and when I'm still, that's when I can truly embrace and that's when I can truly be fulfilled. When I'm constantly 
chasing, when I'm constantly trying to be better, when I'm constantly trying that, oh, if I don't meditate today, I'm going to get a bad day tomorrow. Those are usually the traps that got me into the other side. Yeah, absolutely. These little traps or prisons that we create in our minds or spirals that get us yes. up or down. So interesting. And it's so funny because I normally always ask all of my guests, how, how can we live wide awake? But you actually answered it, which is really nice. So most people get like, oh, wow, yeah, how can I live wide awake? But you're already right there, like answering it, which is great. And I think stillness is a very clear and beautiful way to kind of harness that, of, of that feeling of aliveness and living awake. And I also, yeah, I completely agree. Like everything you're saying, it sounds really simple. Like, yeah, you just surrender to life and just, you know, like all the answers are within you, but it has taken me a very, very long time to actually even begin to deeply understand that and to actually embody it in a daily life experience. So I think it sounds simple sometimes and the simple things are the most profound. Exactly. Exactly. And again, like we said, like, like I said earlier, it's at the end of the day, it's just about doing it, you know, belief in it and doing it. And, and and the times when our energy is not strong, when we're low, that's when you usually try to find answers. But most of the time, the answers is just the same answers. It's just you just have to do it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, Ronald, thank you so much for sharing. That was a really beautiful conversation. And I deeply appreciate all the work that you're doing and also just your outlook on life. I think it's really inspiring. So thanks for taking this time to, to be with us today. Likewise. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Really nice to finally be connected. Three things I'm taking away from this conversation with Ronald. Firstly, make your work your playground and know that the journey and path will pivot and swirl, but that's totally okay. Secondly, sustainability is not a liability. It is accessible, comfortable, and beautiful, and it is better for all of us and the planet. And thirdly, mindfulness is a lifelong journey. And as with most things, the more you put in, the more you get out. I'm curious, what did you think about the episode and what were your main takeaways? Is there a topic you want me to dive deeper into? I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Steph L. Dixon or at Live Wide Awake. If you got something out of the podcast and you want to continue this journey with us, consider subscribing and supporting. I hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken. And until next time, live wide awake.